0: Good morning. morning. On your way in, you were given a lemon. Would you get that lemon out right now? And I know some of you have been waiting for this moment thinking, is this where I get to throw it at him? Is this what is the invitation? And I recognize the apparent foolishness of handing people a way to directly give feedback of a potentially critical nature to a guest speaker. I get it. But that the point isn't to actually throw it. The point of having a lemon in your hand, and I really I really mean it, hold it in your hand. I want you to experience this lemon. You're like, that sounds weird. Stay with me, okay? I want you to hold it, literally smell it. Dig your fingernail into it if you want. I mean, I want you to, to be present to the lemon that's in your hand. not Because it's not just any lemon, it's this lemon. In fact, would you say it with me? This lemon, this one, this one. So look at your lemon. And I mean, lemons are amazing. I mean, you can, you know, my wife loves to put a little lemon in hot water in the morning. You ever do that? Really good for you. You can make lemonade. Lemonade's and cleaning products. Lemonade has all kinds of things. One of the people on the worship team said they like to just eat lemons straight. That's weird, but that's cool. I mean, whatever you want to do. Lemons are an amazing thing, but here's the thing. There's never been another lemon like the one you're holding right now, this one. And I want you to experience the thisness of this one, Yours. Because in life, there's a lot of thisness that goes right by us. The thisness of this moment, this person, this God, this very moment we're in will never come again. And so I wanna be present, I wanna be alive, I wanna be awake to this one. Feel that lemon, taste it, hold it. If you wanna taste it, go ahead. this one, one of my favorite quotes from one of my favorite authors, Frederick Buechner, says this, listen to your life. See it for the fathomless mystery that it is in the boredom and pain of it, no less than the excitement and gladness. Touch, taste, smell your way to the holy and hidden heart of it. Because in the last analysis, all moments are key moments and life itself is grace, this moment. The truth is, and I put myself in this category, we don't often actually allow ourselves to be fully present here and now. Moments are kind of like a piece of fruit that they're only ripe for a little while and then they sour, then they go bad and then they're just gone. They're temporary, they're fleeting why don't we pay more attention? And I'm not talking about just fruit because you're thinking because I'm a grown-up and I have more important things to do than to contemplate lemons. I get it, but, but might we be missing something really important and significant, something called presence. Not the presence you open at Christmas or your birthday, the presence of being fully alive, fully awake, fully here, now, this, this moment. And the thisness of this moment. You know who's really good at this? Children. This is my grandson. I know. I know. He's the best, and I'm glad that you're recognizing it too. He's 15 months old, and my oldest son and his wife and Isaac, my grandson, they live in Boston, so it's not all the time we get to be with them. They were with us for three weeks this Christmas. It was the best. And Isaac, he's looking at me with that look. I mean, come on. But Isaac is very present, because he's 15 months old, and in fact, one of his favorite things, I don't know how he got into this, but he likes to go in a shower, not when it's running, he likes to go in there, and you know all the bottles of shampoo and all the stuff you have in your shower, he likes to just take them one at a time, and he takes them, and then he puts them down here on the bottom, and then he takes another one, and he does it, and sometimes he stacks them, and then he puts them back up again, and he can do this for a really long time, but he is fully Absorbed in that moment. He is present. He gets the thisness of this moment. There was a social scientist, uh, is one by the name of Mahaley. She sent me, if I can say it right, it doesn't matter, but he did some research on this idea. He observed that certain people, he had a brother that was completely absorbed in the study of crystals. Like he could spend all day just staring at the intricacies under a microscope of a crystal. And he observed that other people seem to have this kind of ability to lose themselves fully into something. Like great athletes can be in, absorbed in something. Or, uh, or maybe a musician. Or, or, but even like a child can be absorbed fully in the moment. And he called this condition flow. And what he said about flow is, one, is it has to sort of challenge us. It's something that we can do, but it pulls us a little out of ourselves. It also has to have meaning and purpose to us, and we have to think it's important. And what he observed is that most of us are not in flow most of the time. And I think I'd agree with that, I'm not. Not in flow all the time, but we're distracted, we're busy. We're pulled in lots of directions, and that's the text that we're gonna get into this morning of somebody in flow and somebody not, somebody who is in the thisness of a moment and somebody who wasn't. So here's the text, it's in uh, Luke chapter, well, what chapter is it? But it's in Luke 10, there it is. Wow, there you go. It's in the Bible, trust me. So Jesus and his disciples are on their way one place to another. They stopped by a village where there's a woman named Martha who opened her home to him. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparation that had to be made. She came to him and she asked to Jesus and she said, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Now, if you're reading the story right now, you might find yourself going, yeah, tell her. Come on. It's not fair. Martha's doing all the work. Mary's just pulled up a chair and chilling. And right. And here's how I've often heard this story. If you've been in church a while, you may have heard this story taught, and it's usually presented something like this. Martha, too busy, too focused on other things. Mary, chilling with Jesus. That's the important thing. Mary, good. Martha bad, be more like Mary. I don't think that's the point at all. So let's back up a little bit. Let's have a little more sympathy for Martha because the reality is in the Middle East at that time, and still today, in fact, hospitality is huge. You couldn't even overstate it. To have guests in your home, even if they're strangers to you, you are to pull out all the stops. I mean, your best China, your very best food that you sweep and dust your home, you make it a a palace as much as possible. You go all out to welcome guests, and especially notable guests. Here you have a rabbi, Jesus, and and he brought some friends with him, like 12 of them. And they're coming over, and so you want to make this place great, and you want to show care and respect for Jesus and his disciples by by doing all you can, and here she's trying to do it. She's trying to be a good host. That's good. It's not bad. And and Mary, it's, it looks at first like she's like, well, she's just not into helping, you know. She's just more the the chill over here kind of person. And 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 so you kind of at first I find myself more sympathetic to Martha. And and then what's Mary doing? You know, why isn't she helping out? Well. I want us to notice by what Mar- Mary actually is doing because it's, it's really important. It says specifically what she's doing. It says she's sitting at Jesus' feet. Now, that's not just a description of her pulling up some floor to sit at Jesus' chair. It's actually a technical term. In that day, sitting at someone's feet was a sign of not just respect, it was actually a posture that an apprentice or a disciple would have under the teaching or instruction of a rabbi or a leader. So if you were to be a follower of a particular rabbi or teacher, it would be said that you sat at their feet, not only to listen to what they said and understand their teaching, but to actually imitate their way of life. And here's the thing, that was in that day, it was something that was only for men. Women didn't do it. They weren't invited to do this. And yet here we see in the gospel preserved for us that Jesus is not only allowing, but inviting this woman to sit at his feet as an apprentice, as a learner, as a disciple. It's a really big deal. By the way, you and I are invited to sit at Jesus' feet as his apprentice, as his disciple, as his follower. We're invited to do that very thing. Martha is not just like ecstatic about this, this amazing privilege and opportunity being afforded to her sister and actually to her too. She's what? She is distracted. She's distracted and in fact the word in the Greek language is the word that is perispao and you're like, well, I don't care, that's okay. Uh, But perispao, it's the only time that word is used in the entire Bible, that word. And it's used here. So what does it mean? perispao? it means to be pulled around, like to be kind of pulled around, but more specifically, actually dragged away from. Like this is the important thing and you're being dragged away from it. So Jesus is saying, Martha, you're being dragged away by your distraction, by, by other things distraction if anybody would kind of label the day and age we live in one of the one of the terms they could give to all of us I think would be this one distracted distracted is is a a distracted age I've been reading a a book uh, lately and it's um, it's it's about focus or the loss of focus um, it, it's interesting, Johan Hari wrote this book and he's been documenting how over the last hundred years, our, uh, our lack of being able to pay attention has actually been increasing. And uh, uh, not only over the last hundred years, but about 20 or so years or so, there's a rapid drop in our capacity to be present, to be paying a full attention. And you know what we can attribute it to? You're already aware of this, right? It's these things right here, right? And the internet and social media and all that. I mean, it's, it's pervasive. We all have them and, and they are pulling our attention in all kinds of ways all the time. In fact, in this book, let me just offer you some data on this, right? You're probably aware of some of this, but let me. this might sober us a little. I don't know. The average person touches their phone 2,600 times a day. And you're like, no, I don't. I mean, that would be weird. You're right. If you're a heavy user, it's 5,000. And I'm I'm talking about like every time you do this and all that, that's how many touches, right? That's a lot. Uh, The average person spends three hours and 15 minutes on their phone every day. If you have an iPhone on Sunday mornings, do you get the little notification, your phone time. I don't want to see it because it never encourages me like, oh, good, more time last week. Staring at my little screen. We spend almost seven hours a day online looking at screens and if you're a gamer, that's way low. But many, for many of us, it's, it's more than that. This is average, folks. Let's keep going. What is the cost of that? Well, the average worker's interrupted from their work tasks every three minutes. This is average. I'm talking about a text, an email, somebody stopping by your cubicle your office, another, something pulling your attention. And this is just scientific data, folks. It takes approximately 23 minutes to fully return to our focus after interruption. I mean, to get back into a zone of focus and concentration. With the results of the average American worker now has a total of, in the given workday, one hour of focus. That's a lot. We're distracted. We are in a distracted age. And I know some of you are thinking, yeah, I know, I know. But here's the thing. I multitask. Here's the thing. And don't get mad at me, but no, you don't. (laughs) I know some of you are saying, yes, I do. I mean, how else would I do an email, listen to music, be texting my friends and also watching a TV show at the same time if I couldn't multitask? Duh. I'm multitasking. Here's the thing. The brain, the human brain is a processor that in reality actually can only in truth focus on one thing at a time. So what's happening when you're switching from your email browser to texting to listening to music to the other thing that you're doing, what's happening? You are switching very fast, very fast between one thing and another. You're like, well, good. That means I'm really smart. It means that you're really distracted. It means that you and I are less able to give our full focus and attention to anything. I mean, a little at a time, a little at a time. They are now documenting, you know this probably, you've heard this, that that the level of distraction that many people have with their phone when they're driving is equivalent to driving under the influence. We're distracted. This is not to beat you up and shame on you and so stop it and do better. Amen, let's close in prayer. That is not the goal. That's not what we're trying to do. The truth is we're all fighting this battle, but I want to invite us into the other reality is that distraction has a cost. Why is it important that we absorb what the cost is? Because if we don't recognize that this is hurting us and perhaps others, then we're not going to be as motivated to do anything about it. What kind of cost does distraction have? I don't know, you ever been out with your spouse or boyfriend or girlfriend and and you're having a nice time and catching up and you know, kind of making nice looks at each other over the breadsticks at Olive Garden or wherever you choose to go. And then the, they just suddenly, their phone buzzes and, oh, it's Bob from work. He never calls me this time of day. There must be something. I'll just take this real quick. Famous ways to ruin a meal. I'll take this real quick. And, and it's not like it's the end of the world and you come back and all that, but... You've lost a moment. You've lost the thisness of whatever was happening. Your kids come in and they're telling you about their day and I know it's minute detail and it's like Bobby, on, the way they said this or that and you're like, I was listening. I can repeat back the words you said, but you weren't there. It's not just in relationship costs that I'm talking about. It's not even um, just the fact that we are frazzled and stressed. Levels of anxiety, because we're pulled in all these directions, are off the charts. All the difficulty we're have, having focus. I mean, here's the thing. They, t- they tested one group of kids that were taking a test, and, uh, and periodically they would receive a text notification, and another group of kids that were taking a test without it, the ones that didn't get distracted, performed 20 to 30% better. I mean, it's, there's a cost, but here's the deeper cost, that I don't think we're counting as much, and it's the cost to our soul. We are not meant to live such fragmented lives. It's like our souls are a little pad of butter that are being spread over a massive loaf of bread and there's not enough to go around. Our so we're just pulled in so many directions. We've gotten used to a level of busyness that I'm not sure we were really made for, but it's not just the busyness, it's that, that we're trying to pay attention to too many things and none of them get our real attention You ever been where like trying to spend time in prayer and it seems like the moment you sit down to try and focus, okay, God here, I'm gonna be present to you. And then suddenly your mind's flooded with all the things you gotta do. All the other thoughts, I gotta do this. And oh wait, I forgot that. And it's like, where did all this come from all of a sudden? It's just our attention is just so pulled, isn't it? But what happens is we're so busy trying to build a life that we forget that Jesus says we don't build a life, really, the deepest kind of life is a life we receive, not one we build. And we can't receive life well from God in the deepest parts of us if we're distracted and harried and hurried and not able to be present. And that's what Jesus is inviting uh, Martha to notice about Mary. See, there's a presence paradox, and it's this, that the more we try to give our attention to, the less we're able to be fully present to any of it. Just like we have an unlimited supply of attention, but we don't. So that's why Jesus invites Martha to see this. And I wish we could hear Jesus' tone of voice. Don't you wish sometimes the tone of voice was in the Bible when we read the words? But because Jesus doesn't shame people, he doesn't beat them up, and I hope you don't feel that way today. But I think Jesus talked to Martha like this, Martha, Martha. you're, you're, You're worried, you're upset about many things, but few things are needed. In fact, just one. Mary has chosen what's better and it won't be taken from her. Mary had discovered something really important about where to give her focus and attention in this moment. One thing is essential, another translation says, or is worth being concerned about, one thing. And friends, I mean, you don't know me, I don't know you, but if I could pray one thing for you in this year, one thing, it would be this, is that each of us would give this year this priority to cultivate the capacity to be more fully present, more fully present to God and yourself and other people around you. To be here, this moment, this person, this God, this. It's one thing to be aware we're distracted and pulled away. I mean, we are. I don't think any of us could argue that, but but being aware and having an attention about it is like, what are we missing in the process? What's the invitation from God here? And I think C.S. Lewis says it well when he says these words, we may ignore, but we can nowhere evade the presence of God. The world's crowded with God. He walks everywhere incognito, and the incognito isn't even always hard to penetrate. The real labor, the work that we're invited into is to attend, in fact, to come awake, still more, to remain awake to be awake to this, this reality, this God, this life, this moment. How do we change? It's not gonna come from feeling bad. It's not gonna come from just, let's just try harder. Okay, this week, try harder. I I would say it needs to be cultivated. It happens over time and with repeated attention. And I would think there's some postures that I think are gonna be helpful. Here's the interesting thing. I'll just share this with you. I, I work for an organization that comes alongside pastors and ministry leaders. You may have heard of us now through Chris Wellspring. And our, our focus, our work is to help, help pastors and leaders pay attention to their inner life, to cultivate the thisness of their own lives. And here's the thing. This is a daily battle for me. It's hard. I'm not naturally even a contemplative person. I like to be busy and do stuff. But I think some postures can help us. First is a posture of desire. Here's the thing, if if you don't want this, God doesn't force himself on you. God wants to be wanted, He he wants us to choose to make space for him, to make room for him, to give attention to him. And that's not something he makes us do. I love this Psalm that says, my heart's heard you speaking to God say, has heard you God say, come talk with me. And, and my heart responds, Lord, I'm coming. I'm coming. And maybe in this moment you're like, oh, I, I, that sounds good, I'm not there and I get it. God's really even I think okay with wanting to want to. I want to want you God, I don't yet, but I even, would you increase my desire? That's a great prayer. A posture of desire. I think the next thing would be a posture of, of receptivity or openness. There's a story in the Old Testament of a little boy named Samuel, and he is he is serving God in the tabernacle, the place where God is worshipped, and the priest there, Eli, it, they go to bed uh, one evening, and, and Samuel hears this voice calling his name. He thinks it's Eli, and he runs said, yes, you called. Eli said, well, no, it wasn't me. This goes on like three times, and finally Eli says, oh, I... I think it's God talking to you. He says, Samuel, this is what you're to say. Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. And it's not just I can hear you, it's saying I hear you and I'm open. I'm open to what you wanna say to me. I'm open to obeying you, I'm open to following you, I'm open. I think God wants to speak to us, but he wants to speak to people who are are at least open to the possibility that he might have something to say. And he might wanna meet with them and he might wanna just even encourage them. A posture of receptivity. Another one would be, I think, a posture of slowing and quieting, and I'll say it right now, this might be the hard one. Slowing and quieting, like why? You mean God can't speak to me while I'm on the go? Of course he can. It's just that we don't hear really well fast. (laughs) A posture of slowing and quieting. Why? Well, again, God's not jumping up and down trying to say, hey, look over here. God speaks to Moses in a burning bush, but how long do you have to watch a bush burn before you realize it's not burning up? A little while. Gotta slow down. Elijah's in the wilderness and he sent there to hear from God. And it says there's, a, there's an earthquake and there's a fire and there's a great wind. And it says, but God wasn't in those things. Instead, God speaks through a still soft voice, a whisper. In fact, the literal translation is the sound of nothingness, quiet, still. That's why in Psalm 46, it will say, be still and know that I'm God. Because in the be busy and distracted, it's really hard to know. And not just know in our heads, but know in our bones, know in our soul, know in our being that God is God, to experience him, to slow and quiet. And then finally, in a posture of intentional practice, because this doesn't happen quickly and it doesn't happen overnight and it has to be cultivated. Jesus said these words, my, um, my mother and brothers, my family are those who hear God's word and put it into practice. I like the word practice because it means I have to keep doing it over and over. It's like shooting free throws a lot. You got to do them a lot till you start making them. That's basketball, for those of you who are wondering. And uh, you know, like a lot of things, it's it's getting your reps in, as they say. But I love this quote by G.K. GK Chesterton, who said, anything worth doing is worth doing badly. <laughs> what does that mean? You gotta do it badly at first until you get better at it. I am, I have been practicing this uh, practice I'm gonna share with you now for 20-something years. I'm still not very good at it. That's okay. I, I uh, a friend told the story of how he would go away on a quiet retreat, and a friend said, what do you, what do you expect to get out of this quiet retreat? And he looked at him funny, he said, I don't know, I just figured God liked it when I showed up. How do we show up with God in a little more stillness and quietness and slowing? How do we get into the thisness of even God and ourselves? Uh, I'm gonna offer you a simple practice that you can try, okay? And I'm gonna encourage you to try it three times this week. This isn't hard to do, or, well, it might be hard to do, but it's not hard to remember, so stay with me. I'm going to invite you to set a timer for 10 minutes. Now, ideally, you wouldn't want to do it on your phone, because then you're going to want to look at your phone, but <laughs> that's fine. If you got to, I get it, but just 10 minutes, okay? 10, not, not an hour, not 20 hours, 10 minutes. And, and that you would, when you start, to just take some deep breaths. Why? Because... It helps sort of ground us in our own bodies, in our own space, in that own moment. In fact, the Holy, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, the word translated "the Spirit is breath. To invite the very breath of God to be present in us. So I'm going to try to do it with me right now. I'm going to invite you to breathe. And you're like, I've been doing that. I'm going to invite you to breathe deeply, deeply in and deeply out. Feel it in your body. Let your body be aware that you are grounded to the floor, which is grounded to this earth, which is held in place by God himself. If you want to get real specific with this, I would encourage you to breathe in to the count of four through your nose. That's one, two, three, four, and then out through your mouth to the count of eight. That's how you take longer breaths. Breathe out longer. And this isn't just to breathe. It is actually to become more aware of you being with God. And I would invite you in that 10 minutes to just a, a simple prayer practice would be to say, God, with you, I want to review the last day, last 12 hours, last day, whatever it is. And God, help me to look back and notice where were moments that you were were present to me. Maybe it was the smile of a friend or the clouds being parted for a moment for the sun to come in and or just something that you found joyful and fulfilling or even God speaking to you through a song or a scripture or whatever came to your mind. God, how are you present to me? And I want to reflect on that and thank you for your presence with me. And then maybe look back also and say, maybe there were moments I missed your presence. Maybe I wasn't paying attention, not to beat yourself up or try harder next time or shoot, but rather to just say, God, thanks that you were, even if I wasn't noticing, you were still present to me. And hopefully I'll be a little more inclined the next time, be a little more aware. Here's the invitation, friends. It's to be still, to be open, to be with, to simply be. Three times, try it this week. 10 minutes. To see how God meets you. Uh, I tried this prayer practice for a while where I would have a prayer phrase I would say to God. I would just say, God, I'm here. I would just have that word. I would say, God, I'm here. I'm here to be with you. And I didn't know how I was going to feel. I wanted to feel something, to be honest. I wanted to feel that God was, was showing up somehow, and I wasn't sure what that was going to look like. And I did it for months and months, and I, I wasn't feeling something very dramatic. And I began to wonder, am I doing it wrong And one day, in the midst of just saying, God, I'm here, that's all, not trying to get anything else out of it, not trying to pray any other big prayers, Because God, I'm here, I felt like God was saying to me, Richard, I'm saying that to you. I'm here, I'm here. So I wanna finish with giving you a chance, a one minute experience, one minute together. I might feel longer to some of us, I promise, I'll time it, one minute. So would you close your eyes? Would you take a breath? Would you simply say to God, simple word, here. God, you are here, and I am here, and we are here together. You are here. I am here. We are here together. Our ever-present God, we recognize that we are distracted. We live in a distracted age and time, and we are pulled like Mary, uh, like Martha was, in all kinds of directions. And often, most of all, we're pulled away from You. But God, would You, would You begin to do or continue to do a renewing work in us that would allow us to be become over time? more grounded and centered in you, more present to you. Give us patience. Give us a lot of grace. Allow us to just do it badly for a while and slowly find that you meet us even despite our imperfect efforts. God, you are here, and we are here, and we are here with you. In the name of Jesus, who came for us to be near us, to show us what presence really even looks like. In his name we pray, amen. Amen. Thank you for letting me be with you this morning. And thank you. Here's the thing, and I've been told this, the lemons are for you. Don't return them to us, we don't want them back. Thanks for not throwing them at me, but I would love to meet you out here at the Connection Corner. Have a fantastic week. Blessings.